0: All right, well, let's go ahead and take our Bible and turn to Colossians chapter number three. Colossians chapter three, and then if you would stand in honor out of the reading of uh, the Word of God. Colossians chapter number three. And uh, just four verses tonight Uh, Colossians 3, verses 8 through verse number 11. Colossians 3, 8 through 11. The word of God says this. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather together, and uh, Lord, as we study your word tonight in this particular passage, I pray you'd give us great wisdom, help us to understand what your word is trying to communicate here, and then help us to apply these truths to our life. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So tonight we continue this practical portion that Paul started in uh, verse number five. In verse number five, he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he goes on down and um, he gets real practical here. And uh, he, he, he says uh, in verse number five, mortify therefore remember, it's because of our standing in the Lord Jesus Christ, remember we are dead with Christ, but not just dead with Christ, we're risen with Christ, and then as a result we are hid with Christ in God. Because of all of that, um, we should therefore mortify some things. We are to put to death some things in our life. And last Sunday night we looked at the catalog of sins we are to mortify. In verse number five, if you recall, it says this: "Mortify uh, your members which are upon the earth, fornication." Uh, remember, that's the physical act of uh, sexual sin, and then uncleanness, inordinate affection, and evil concupiscence—all are, are sins of the of the heart, which there produce uh, this sin of fornication. And we are to put to death those things in our life. And uh, then we saw the caution that God. God's wrath will indeed come on the children of disobedience, that there is a day of accounting that is coming in verse number six. And then in verse number seven, we notice that this was the way that these believers walked in the past. This was the past course of the Colossian saints, but it should not be their current course and same with us. I mean, we may have been guilty of these sins in the past, but in Christ, none of these things should be once named among us. We looked at uh, that verse in Ephesians that says, None of these things, including covetousness, should be once named among us. Well, now tonight we come to the instruction about we are, what we are to put off and put on. And uh, in this particular uh, passage, uh, really starting at verse number 8 and going down uh, through, um, let's see here, verse number 15 and 16, and um, we're, we're, we're instructed several different times to put off some things, to put on some things. And so tonight, the message title is The Christian Wardrobe, uh, Part 1. Okay, we're not going to get through this whole passage. Uh, I really want to just take some time to uh, dissect this first section here. Um, but uh, now, obviously, these aren't literal clothes, but, God, but Paul uses the analogy here uh, to our closet, our, our clothing, as an illustration to help us understand the natural change that should be taking place in our lives now that we are in Christ. Um, As believers, uh, we should look differently, okay? Um, Yes, the Bible does talk about the physical clothes, but that's not what we're going to be talking about tonight so much. We're going to be talking about uh, what what our lives look like, right? So uh, as we uh, consider the Christian wardrobe, let's notice first of all tonight our requirement. In verse number 8, he says, But now ye also put off all these, all these, uh, and then he goes and starts listing them. But our requirement is first that to put off some things. Because remember, the truth of the matter is, we are dead with Christ and then risen with him. And if you remember, when Jesus rose from the grave, something happened to his grave clothes. Uh, real quick, I want us to uh, turn to John chapter 20 and, uh, and see something here. John chapter 20 and just to kind of be reminded of the fact of what happened to Jesus in His grave clothes. John chapter 20, and we'll be back here at Colossians 3 in just a moment, but Colossians or John chapter 20 in verse number 1, the Bible says this, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, into, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taketh away from the sepulcher. And then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, uh, John, and came to the sepulchre. Verse 4 says, So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And uh, there's John just trying to kind of rub it into Peter that he was the fastest runner there. He's saying, uh, so they ran both together and the other disciple, (laughs) me, uh, did outrun Peter and uh, came first to the sepulcher. Well, but verse five, here it is. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Well, then verse six says, here comes Simon Peter following him. Peter was like, man, John, you're a fast runner. Uh, And he's like, it's tough to keep up with you. And, uh, and this is kind of the, the scene that John wants us to think of, uh, that, that John was this super speedy guy. Well, anyway, Simon Peter, following him, went into the sepulchre and also sees the linen clothes lie. In verse 7, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped, itself, wrapped together in a place by itself. And uh, then verse number 8, then they believed. Why? Because those linen clothes were still there. Okay, had the linen clothes been missing, and we can flip back here to Colossians 3, but had those grave clothes been missing, then they would have thought, oh, somebody went and grabbed the body of Jesus and left. But it is, isn't it interesting that the body is missing, but, you know, we always say the empty, too. It wasn't totally empty. Because, see, the grave clothes were still there. See, after Jesus rose from the grave... Did he have any need for those grave clothes? No, he did not, because he was alive. You and I who are risen with Christ, do we have any need for these grave clothes of sin in our life any longer? No, we do not. And yet too many Christians are walking around with grave clothes on. And that's what Paul's saying here is we need to put off these grave clothes because, hey, in Christ we are risen with Him. We don't have to wear those things anymore. Romans 6 and verse number 4 says, We are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let's stop walking like we're dead. And wearing those grave clothes of the old life. Put those aside, Paul says. Let's put those off. We don't need to wear them anymore because why? We are risen with Christ. No more grave clothes. We can cast them aside. Now, now what are we then to put off exactly? Well, in verse number 5, remember, we were called to mortify or to put to death the sensual sins. But here in this passage, we're called to put off the social sins. Now, now, sadly, as we go down through this list of, uh, of social sins, the truth of the matter is these are way more acceptable in our society. Now, our society is becoming worse and worse, and uh, even the sensual sins are even becoming very tolerated in our day and age. But, but even these, uh, as we go down through, seem very minor in comparison uh, to the ones before, and, and uh, are very acceptable, and, and most people uh, are involved in these, and it just doesn't seem like a big deal, but I, I, want, you to, I want to be, remind you tonight that these are, are mentioned here, and these are still a big deal to God, and uh, ought to be a big deal to us as well. Just because they're acceptable, just because it's okay to do these at the workplace or whatever, doesn't mean that they're okay in God's eyes and ears. Uh, they're, They're not, and we need to put them off. No more grave clothes. So what are we to put off exactly? First, we are to put off the sins of the mind. Sins of the mind. There's a little... Another catalog of sin here mentioned in verse number 8 and even into verse number 9. And the first three deal with the sins of the mind. Things that happen up here and even within our hearts. What are they? Well, first, he mentions the word anger. Anger. By the way, it's the same Greek word when you study it out and look here at this the, the Greek word for anger in verse number 8 is the same Greek word that is translated wrath in verse number 6. For which things sake the wrath of God. And so this, it's, it's this hot, hot anger. Um, we, we mentioned last week when we went through that, this hot anger. And, and look, God is righteous in all of his anger. And he's completely justified in everything, and his anger is perfect. But typically in our lives, it's not. So for those who say, well, hey, doesn't the Bible says be angry? It does, but there's not a period after that particular statement. Uh, We need to be angry and sin not. See, it continues on with that thought. See, while anger is an emotion that even the Lord shares, his anger is perfectly righteous. Uh, It's healthy tonight to be angry at abortion and at the rise of the LGBTQ community, not because it's against our political party, but because it's against our God. And it's okay to be uh, righteously indignant towards that. It's okay to be angry at the departure of people from truth. When when churches start going, uh, becoming apostate, going down the uh, apostasy route, that's not something to be happy about. It's something to be angry about. But again, um, the the kind of anger Paul is referring here to in verse number eight is not that type of anger. He's referring to the unrighteous anger that is selfish because something that didn't go your way. You know, someone didn't do what you thought they should do, and so you get angry. Or someone did something that you didn't want them to do, and so you get angry. Righteous anger is being angry because something didn't go according to God's way. See, there's a big difference. But most of us... Uh, where we get into trouble is this anger that is caused because something didn't go my way. And uh, this, this word anger here deals with uh, a more habitual type of anger. In, in other words, they're just kind of known as an angry person. They're not kind. They're just kind of grumpy and cranky and cantankerous. And uh, you say, you're talking about Baptists again, aren't you? <laughs> I hope not the Baptists in this room. I hope that we're known as gracious people and ones who are putting off these grave clothes called anger. This is the person who's constantly getting angry and makes it hard for other people to live with them and to work with them. I mean, it's like you got to walk on eggshells because you just don't want to say something that's going to just set them off. These people lash out at everyone who offends them. And by the way, these are the people who are easily offended. It's like one little thing, and all of a sudden, they're angry. Say, you're sounding angry tonight. (laughs) Not trying to be, but. Do you know anyone like this? Can I ask you even a more personal question? Are you that person? That everybody has to walk on eggshells around and, boy, I don't want to just say the wrong thing. I want to make sure that, you know, I don't offend them because if I do, then, boy, am I going to hear about it. We're to put this off. It's a grave cloth. It's, it's an article of clothing that pe- dead people wear, spiritually dead people wear. But we who are risen with Christ ought to put these things aside. Why are we to put this off? Because as Ben Franklin once said this, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. It doesn't end in, well, I'm really glad I did that out of anger. That really helped me out. That really fixed that relationship. No. It always causes problems. I read about two men who were driving in Southern California, and they got into a battle of of road rage after one of them cut the other off in a parking lot. The hot-headed men sped out of the parking lot in a fit of anger. They were chasing each other, driving recklessly, dodging and weaving in and out of traffic. They endangered a lot of lives before one finally forced the other to careen completely out of control. The driver frantically tried to regain control, but in the process, listen to this, a innocent little girl on a nearby sidewalk was killed. A young life was taken simply because two men became needlessly angry at each other. So Ben Franklin was right. Whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. Does this happen in the home? Sadly, too often. Oh, but it never happens in Christian homes. Sadly too often it does, because we put on the grave clothes again, forgetting the fact that we are risen with Christ, and we are to put those things off. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles, sorry, I'm not a fan of that particular baseball team, mainly because I cannot pronounce their team name. Well, I'm the Cubs fan. That's a lot easier to say. But Baltimore came to Boston to play a routine routine baseball game. What happened that day was anything but routine. Baltimore's John McCraw got into a fight with Boston third baseman. Within minutes, all the players from both teams had joined in the brawl. The warfare quickly spread to the grandstands. And among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. In this fight, someone ended up setting fire to the grandstands and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. All because one little fight that took place in the game. Oh, but that's not the end of the story. You see not only did that stadium burn down to the ground but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings as well So here's the deal You say well look okay I struggle with anger I mean is that so bad You don't know what kind of fires that your anger will cause if it's not put off. Well, I've just always been angry. That's how my parents were. That's how I've always been. I mean, it's just part of my personality. So you just have to, you know, accept me for who I am. Just as I am without one plea, remember? Yeah, the thing is, see, as a Christian, God wants to do a change in job in all all of our lives. He doesn't want us to just Come to him. He does want us to come to him as we are, but we ought not to leave the same way we came. God does want to change us from the inside out. And one of those things ought to be for those who are, who've struggled with anger all their life is to put that grave cloth off. Put it off. What else? Well, he goes on and says in verse number eight, now put off all these anger. And the next one he mentions is wrath. Wrath means a sudden outburst of anger. This is violent temper. This is an explosion. Where it's like all of a sudden this explosion takes place of anger. The, other, the first word, anger, really kind of deals with just this. They're just always angry. They're never nice. This wrath one is, is more of Boy, you don't ever want to set them off because when that bomb goes off, it's an explosion and creates tremendous destruction. Yet the Bible tells us in several places that wrath is something we are to be slow to. James 1 and verse number 19, God's word says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. In other words, it should take a long time before anything sets us off. And the longer we're a believer, the longer that fuse ought to be. There's too many people that it's like, their, their fuse is like this big. Again, you say one little thing and boom, they explode. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? The longer we're saved, the longer that fuse ought to become, and where it just takes a lot for us to go off, and even when we do, it ought to be just like this little, you know, there's some big dynamite, right, and then there's little, you know those little snappers that you get for like 50 cents, and you get like 50 of them in this box with a bunch of like sawdust, you guys know what I'm talking about, that they sell around, Fourth of July, for little kids to just throw at each other. You shouldn't throw it at, at each other. But you just throw them on the ground, and they just make a snap. I may have thrown them at my brother a time or two. <laughs> okay. Um, but which one are you? Are you dynamite that's just going <laughs> to... Some people are an atomic bomb when they go off. And the whole world knows about it. I mean, every friend on social media knows about it. Every person at work knows about it. Every person in the church knows about it. Every person in the family knows about it. Look, I, I know we're all human, and so I want to strive to not go off at all, but when I do, it's just this little snap. It's like, i got to go get aside and cool off a little bit. And, and we don't make a big deal about it. Which one are you? Does everybody have to know about what's going on and how offended you've become? Wrath is a sudden burst of anger. Here's a couple of references to you, for you to write down. They're all in Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. So if you want to keep stirring up strife, go ahead and blow up. Proverbs 19:19, 19, 19, "A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment." Those who are going on and, and, and continuing on in this wrath, they're going to deal with some punishment. God's going to deal with them in a special way, and I'm not sure exactly how. In Proverbs 14:29, "He that is slow to, slow to wrath is of great understanding." That's what we should all strive to be, slow to wrath. We are, we are of great understanding. So, wrath is something, as a believer, hey, we are risen with Christ, we don't need to wear this anymore. We can put it aside, and we ought to. Wrath. The third one mentioned here is malice. This is ill will towards someone else. A desire to injure, hatred, a desire for something bad to happen to them, because you just can't stand them, you become jealous. And you're like, I really hope that something bad happens to them. It's a desire for something bad to happen to someone, and they're rejoicing if it does. Someone with malice is also sad when someone that they despise are successful. Did this ever happen in the Scriptures? Well, certainly the... uh, as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark and seeing these scribes and these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these elders and all of these people, they certainly had malice towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we have malice, we're just like them. And we look down our nose at them and saying, how could they do that? They had the Lord Jesus right there. He loved them and, and gave His life for them, and, and they still had malice toward them. But you, you and I are somehow justified in having malice towards someone else that God loves? Hmm. What about King Saul? King Saul, for a time, really did appreciate David, appreciated his music, and appreciated uh, his friendship, and, and, and honestly, David did zero wrong in the entire relationship. And all the while, King David became obsessed with destroying King David, or he wasn't king, he he wasn't king yet, but he just wanted to destroy him, so much so that he won elaborate manhunts trying to tear him down and kill him. There was a couple opportunities where David had the opportunity to remove the problem, but he chose not to, because he was a man of integrity, instead of having malice David had integrity and love for God. So if you have malice towards someone, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody in this room. Maybe it's a neighbor. We're to put that off as believers. We're risen with Christ. We don't have any need for grave clothes anymore. We're risen just like Jesus is. So we are to put off the sins of the mind. Secondly, we are to put off the sins of the mouth. Most of us are familiar with James chapter number 3, and you don't have to turn over there, but I will for a quick second. The Bible says the tongue is a little member... And boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. It defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. And uh, verse number eight tells us the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. These are some of the poisons that can happen because of. Uh, us continuing to be clothed with grave clothes. All right, verse number 8. Let's go walk down through this list. The first one mentioned here is blasphemy. Blasphemy is slander, detraction, speech injurious to another's good name. This is the idea of trying to harm someone's reputation with words that are not kind or true. And this refers, of course, both to blasphemy against man and against God. By the way, I do want to remind our church family tonight that taking God's holy name in vain is considered blasphemy. So I hope it is not your habit at all that any one of us would go around taking God's name in vain. God's name is holy. And it's one of the commandments to uh, not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. So please don't OMG this, OMG that. No. Even that acronym I despise. And even replacement words I uh, encourage you not to use either. Um, Let's not... Let's not take the name of our our God. He is a a holy God and his name is holy and we got to keep his name that way and and to treat it right. So blasphemy. Next he says, filthy communication. This is foul speaking, dirty jokes, coarse speech, cursing, profanity, obscenities. These ought to be things that we just put off, like we don't need to wear these anymore. These are unbecoming of someone who has risen with Christ. Simon Peter was guilty of this, wasn't he? The one who said he would never forsake the Lord, the one he said, I'll go to prison with you. Here's what happened to him. Matthew 26 and verse number 69. Now Peter sat within the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. When he's gone out of the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, Hey, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And he uh, again denied with an oath, saying, I do not know the man, I promise. For a while, came unto him they that stood by and said unto Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. And then he said, I know it will do it, what will get you to believe me that I don't know him, blankety blank, I don't know him. And they went, well, maybe he doesn't, because what he just said is not something that a disciple would say. If it's not something the disciple would say, then why would we as believers say any of those words? Well, I'm around it all day at work. I mean, every guy says all this stuff. I mean, it just is part of it. And if you don't, then people don't respect you. And I'm saying, look, if you don't, then maybe they'll respect you even more. And again, who cares whether people at work respect you? What matters most is uh, being obedient to the Word of God. To put off all these things. Simon Peter was guilty of this, and he cursed. I don't know exactly what word it would have been equivalent to, but probably one that made everybody go, okay, fine, we get it, you're not one of him got it. okay. Filthy talk, jokes that are inappropriate. I went to public school. I heard inappropriate jokes on the regular. Those of you who go to public school, you need to make a decision on how you're going to react to those things, because they will come. I also played a Half a game of football <laughs> in my high school career. And so, yes, I spent some time in a f- football locker room and there was inappropriate talking. And, guys, you need to make sure that you keep your speech pure and right. Filthy communication, whether it's verbally or virtual, it needs to be pure and right. Filthy communication needs to be put out of our mouth. And The last one here is lying. Verse number 9. Lie not one to another. Now, as I was looking at this and thinking about it, we're familiar with the Lord and the devil, aren't we? The Lord Jesus Christ, he calls himself, in John 14, verse number 6, I am the way. And what's the next one? The truth and the life. Okay, then in John, I believe, chapter 8, we find a reference where Jesus is talking, and he says, You're of, the, you're of your father, the devil, and the devil is the father of lies. Okay, so here we have the father of lies over here, and we have Jesus who is the truth. And as a believer, who resides within us now? The Lord does. And so when we lie, it's a betrayal of the one who resides within us. And then we're kind of saying, hey, look, I'm back over here wearing my grave clothes. Again, every time we lie. So which one should we be emulating in our life? The Lord who resides within as a believer, or the devil who is the father of lies? Which one is it? In the book of Ephesians, Paul encourages the church there to put away lying. He says, Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Revelation 21.8, we need to be reminded of how serious lying is. Revelation 21 says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. Those are pretty bad. That's a pretty bad list of, of sinners, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers. But then it goes on to say, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. You say, lying isn't that big of a deal. Seriously? You're spending time talking about this? I mean, everybody lies. It's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal to God, who is truth. And it says a couple times about the character of God is that he cannot lie. He is truth. God can do anything. Well, he can't lie. Because it's against his nature. And his nature is truth. And when you and I lie, it is a... It is identifying with the devil rather than the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lips are abomination to the Lord. Abomination is a serious word, and it's almost as if it makes him sick. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. In Proverbs 6, says the Lord gives his, the things that he hates, he says, these, things, these six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He, he lists them. A proud look, a lying tongue is mentioned second. Second only to a proud look. And really, pride is really the, the fountain where the lying tongue comes from, but a lying tongue. So, tonight, I want to encourage our church family to put off the sins of the mouth, which is blasphemy, filthy talk, and lying. Let's be honest. Even if it makes you look bad, to be honest, be honest. Because you may look bad to me or to someone else, but ultimately, in God's eyes, he appreciates you being truthful. I know there's going to be times where lying will make things easier for you, less expensive for you, um, better, but God says here, lie not one to another, lie not one to another. And so we see our requirement, the, the, next, the next three thoughts are a little faster. But I want to take some time to go through those words. And, and I don't know about you, but those are those are words that hit, hit home to me. And I hope that uh, the Lord will help us to realize that we need to put those off because, hey, look, we are risen with Christ. So we see our requirement. Let's move on here to number two, our reason. Why should we put all these off? And I've already kind of explained that a little bit. But verse number nine tells us, Lie not one to another, and here's why. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man. Again, we are risen with Christ. We no longer need to wear those things. We're now, uh, we're now a new creature in Christ, and we ought to be different than we were before we became a Christian. Here's an illustration that was in one of the commentaries that I had, and, and I just... I I read it, I laughed, and I'm like, I've got to put this in here. I've got to say it. You'll enjoy it. This pastor who wrote this, he said, a good friend of mine before his conversion was a prize fighter. He was a boxer. He was also an atheist. The man who led him to Christ first refuted all of his atheist arguments and then turned the tables on him and forced him to face the magnificent logic of the gospel. And his conversion to Christ took care of his atheism, but his love for fighting in the ring was something else. You see, it was his life, his old life, and it died hard. The new convert was full of the joy of his new life in Christ. He was a regular in his attendance at the local church. He grew in grace and in the knowledge of God, but he went on boxing. You see, the ring was still in his blood. One day, a choice saint of God asked this friend of mine how things were going with him. He said, well, I have a big fight coming up next week, and I need to win. Have you prayed about it? asked the wise old elder. Prayed about it? echoed the boxer, startled by this question. Yeah, prayed about it. You ought to know by now that you can talk to your Heavenly Father about all aspects of your life. Would you like me to pray with you right now about your upcoming fight? The young Christian was more than a little surprised. Well, of course, he managed at last. Kneel down, commanded the older man. (laughs) And then he began to pray. Father in heaven, I come to you in the precious name of your son. I thank you for your love, for putting me in your family, and for saving my dear young brother here. You know all about his fight coming up next week. He says that he needs to win that fight. So Father, please help him to beat that other fellow to a pulp. May he he batter him all over the ring. May he bash his face in, knock out all of his teeth, and smash up his nose. May he knock him down and then knock him out stone cold. In the name of your Son, our Savior, amen. The converted boxer looked at this grave old elder in astonishment. You can't pray like that, he said. (laughs) And the wise old saint responded with, and you can't live like that. Young Christian left the ring soon afterwards. You see what he did is he put the old man and his deeds off. He went on to become one of God's choicest servants, a man whose ministry God blessed to the salvation of many souls. You have put off the old man with this deed, says Paul. He takes for granted that once the Holy Spirit witnesses to something in our life that is inconsistent with the Christ life, that we put it off at once. To strip it off is the more forceful original. In 1665, he goes on to say, the great plague, as it was called, ragged with uh, indiscriminate fury through the city of, or raged, I'm sorry, with indiscriminate fury through the city of London. Those who could afford to do so fled, but those who remained lived in terror. Those who fled to the country were met by armed villagers who were determined to keep the plague out of their communities. Sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, 2020 here. Uh, But uh, anyway, because people did not know what caused the plague, the most elementary hygienic precautions were ignored. For instance, people in the city continued to send parcels of used clothing, often the property of the dead, to poor relatives and relief agencies elsewhere. Even clothes stripped off the bodies of plague victims were thus dispatched. Now imagine a family receiving such a parcel and proudly and gratefully putting on clothes much better in quality and style to their usual everyday wear. Then they discover that these attractive new garments had come from one of the plague houses. With what horror they would strip them off and consign them to the fire. It is with the same horror that we should strip off the old man and his deeds because that old man has the plague. See, The reason we ought to do all of this is because we have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. We no longer need those grave clothes anymore. So if you're wearing grave clothes tonight, can I encourage you to have a wardrobe? You have a wardrobe malfunction as a believer. You need to change your wardrobe. Uh, Number three here as we uh, make our way through this little passage, uh, we see our resemblance. Verse number 10, and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. After the image of him that created him. See, as time goes on, the more and more we are supposed to be resembling the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 tells us, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I mentioned a little bit ago, some people say, well, this is how I am. Well, that may be true, but that's not how God wants you to stay. God wants you to be conformed into the image of his son. So as time goes on, you start looking more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And less and less like, in my case, Eric Johnson. Because Eric Johnson was a sinner. Dead in my sin and trespasses. Do I really want to look like me? Now, not really. (laughs) I look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to look like me. I want to look like the Lord. I want when people look at me, they don't see Eric, they see Jesus. How are we to resemble the Lord? Very quickly, we're to uh, resemble Him in holiness. 1 Peter 1 and verse 14 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. No, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is an area that we can resemble the Lord Jesus Christ in. Now, how does this happen? There's a word here in verse number 10, which is renewed in knowledge. See, as we learn more and more about Jesus, the more we spend time with him, the more we get to know him, and the more we begin to start resembling him. I don't know if anybody has ever noticed, but some couples who are together for a long time and have a great relationship sort of begin to look like each other. Have you noticed some of that? Maybe some of you have seen the, the pictures where the dog owners look like their dogs. <laughs> I thought about putting some on the screen tonight, but we, we don't have time for that, although you might enjoy it still, but... Look, as time goes on, the more and more people ought to start saying, you know, he looks a little less and less like Eric and a little bit more and more like Jesus because he's learning about Jesus. He's spending time with him in his word and and in prayer and and learning and growing in church and and being involved. And he's starting to look and look a little bit more like the Lord Jesus Christ. See, instead of reacting to problems the way we used to by yelling and screaming and cursing, we respond then in patience and don't let let it cause us to lose our cool. Instead of letting our mind get full of anger and rage, we instead choose to forgive. Instead of walking down a path of lust in our mind and then eventually in our flesh, we instead decide to cast down those wicked thoughts and bring them to the obedience of Christ. Instead of laughing at jokes that are crude and vulgar, we instead walk away or change the subject. We begin to respond as Jesus would, and as we do, then we begin to resemble him more and more, which is what God's will is for us. So, in holiness, but then also in love. John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Of course, Jesus loves us, and we are to love as he has loved. And this would be the sign that we are believers. Not a t-shirt that says, you all need Jesus. Hey, I love that shirt go ahead and wear that shirt. Uh, but we, we, that's not the sign that Jesus says that everybody would know that you're a believer if you wear that shirt. Or have a bumper sticker. Of course, my, ba- my favorite bumper sticker is, tithe if you love Jesus, any idiot can honk. I love that. <laughs> I love that bumper sticker. In fact, I'm thinking about putting that on my vehicle right now. <laughs> um, or, or some people wear a cross necklace. And, and, and look, uh, these aren't n- n- nothing, none of these are bad. What well, the Lord said, the mark of one of His disciples would be, would be our love for one another. So how are we doing? in that? And then love others like Jesus did. Uh, love them enough to give them the gospel. Jesus loved the, uh, loved the multitudes, and He had compassion on them. Andrew Murray wrote this, Every Christian, therefore, by prayer and practice... To cult, ought, therefore, by prayer and practice to cultivate a compassionate heart as one of the most precious marks of likeness to the Blessed Master. Let me read that again. Every Christian ought, therefore, by prayer and practice to cultivate a compassionate heart as one of the most precious marks of likeness to the Blessed Master. Look, if none of us, if we don't care whether our neighbors go to heaven or hell, that is the opposite of being conformed to the image of Christ. See, Christ very much cares about the eternal destiny of your neighbor, of your coworker, of those you go to school with, of our family members. We ought to develop a compassionate heart. So remember when Jesus said to Philip in uh, in the book of John, "You want to see the Father? Well, then look at me, because when you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Okay, well, we ought to be able to say to those around us, our kids, our coworkers, those we go to school with, our neighbors, you want to see what Jesus is like? Then look at us. Look at me. How are we doing in that? Are we resembling him? And then number four, and last quick thought here, and that is our reminder. Verse number 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarians, Gideon, bond nor free, Christ is all and in all. See, this verse is telling us that the ground is level at the cross. We're all equal before God. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew. God loves you. It doesn't matter what country you're from. God loves you. It doesn't matter what religion you're from. God loves you. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. God loves you. It doesn't matter what class of people you are in, whether you're rich, poor. It doesn't matter. God loves you. Christ is all and in all. And it doesn't even matter if you root for the Sooners or for the Cowboys, God still loves you. And even if you don't like hockey, God still loves you. I'm not sure how, but He does. A reminder. And because of all that, look, we could put those things away. And, and I, I guarantee, the re, or I, I don't guarantee this, my suspicion in verse number 11 is why he put that is because what was going on in the church is people were bad-mouthing each other because of their creed, because of where country they were from, and there was all this division, and he said, you got to put that aside because the ground is level, we're all equal in the Lord. There's no difference, male or female, poor or rich, doesn't matter. And there are several references I could run tonight. But for sake of time, we'll skip it. So... The richest person in the room tonight, materialistically, is equal to the poorest person in the room, materialistically, tonight, in God's eyes. And there's no difference. And that's the beauty of being a part of a local church, is that there's no, like, well, there's, that's the rich crowd, and that's the rich group. Here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, we're just one church. Well, there's people who have a lot of Bible knowledge, and, and they're in that group. No, 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 no. We're just one group, one church, Cornerstone Baptist Church. And so he reminds us about that truth tonight, that the ground is level at the cross. So the Christian wardrobe, there are some things we're called to put off. Tonight, if you're wearing grave clothes, time to cast those aside. If you're a believer and you're risen with Christ, you no longer need to wear those. So put them off. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the time together this evening. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to take heed to the truth tonight. Lord, thank you for the truth that, hey, as believers, we are risen with you. We don't have to walk around wearing those grave clothes anymore. We're risen with Christ. Lord, I suspect there may be Someone or maybe a few someones in this room tonight who recently have been walking around wearing gray clothes. Who've let the anger get the best of them. Who've lashed out in wrath. Maybe even it's got to the point where it's malice towards someone. Lord, I pray that you get that settled and right tonight. Perhaps there's someone in here that's been using the Lord's name in vain. I pray you convict them of that tonight and help them to immediately, cold turkey, stop it. Lord, for someone tonight who has been either saying or laughing at these dirty jokes around the office or around school, help them, Lord, to just stop. For someone who has been a habitual liar, may they decide tonight to be habitual truth tellers because they recognize that the Lord who is the truth resides within and they want to identify with him rather than with the father of all lies pray Lord that revival our revival meeting is coming up in a few weeks but Lord may revival start tonight in the areas we've talked about